for your goodness. I thank you that you enable us to love you. I ask you, God, that you'd speak to us today, that you'd, that you'd let us know that your love for us does something. Teach us that today. Amen. Amen. So I, I don't hide it a bit. I love Rock Hall. Some of you were born here. You know, you've heard me say that this is my hometown. Like, even though I wasn't born here, so some of you, some of you just stop hating on me right now because... Because I adopted you. Whether you like it or not, I made you my hometown. And some of you, frankly, you don't like us coming in. Because <laughs> I know. Cause <laughs> it takes a while. for Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, and you know why I love Rock Hall? And, and some of you, if you if you lived here your whole life, you don't appreciate this. Because you've always been around it. But those of us who are new here, those of us who have made you, who have adopted you, we appreciate this like you don't. Because, you see, and just for instance, like, like the fact that I wave to people, and you and y'all, y'all reminded me like when I grew up, where I grew up, we, we did you wave to everybody because you knew everybody, and I do that now in Rock Hall thanks to you. Like, and you don't appreciate it. You're just like, oh man, I wish they'd stop waving, you know. But but no, I like it. You know, I found myself this week. I even waved to somebody with a Pennsylvania tag on their car. <laughs> hey, there's there's some people from Pennsylvania here today. See, see, like it matters. It matters. It really does. It's not that like they notice it. And they love it, right? You, if you've been here all along, you just think it's just the people who know you. No, it's people who don't know you, who are waving to you. You don't know that many people anymore. <laughs> like, it's people who don't know you are still waving because you've kind of taught us. As a newbie to Rock Haulers, there's some other things. Like, everybody here has a nickname. Like, not everybody, but there's a lot of people in, who are Rock Haulers. You know, you've been here for a long time. You've got nicknames for everybody. And so I, I've started giving you nicknames. Some of them I can share. <laughs> Some of them I can't, but, I, but you've all got nicknames, you know. <laughs> and it's just, that's just what we do, right? Because we love our neighbors and we love each other. And so we, we kind of, and I've been amazed at how those nicknames fit. Like when somebody tells me, oh, that's so-and-so. And I'm like, of course it is. Like, <laughs> that's exactly what I would call. And it's just, that's one of the other things that I love about Rock Cause, you can't get lost here. I mean, if you get lost here, you are bad off. I mean, you, it's one of those Lord bless his heart kind of deals because, it's hard to get lost here. In some places, if you've lived here your whole life, you don't understand this. There are some places in, this, in the world that you can drive on the same road and it like never ends. <laughs> here in Rock Hall, it like, comes to a dead end, you've got to turn around and go back out. And it's just the way you think, but all roads are not like that. For a lot of, a lot of roads, a lot of people, can, you can actually get lost in their neighborhoods. <laughs> like That's not the way it is here. And I love that. And I love Rock Hall. And, and many of you who've made this home, this is you love it too. For some of you, though, maybe you've forgotten why you loved it so much. We're going to talk about that today. But it's the same way in the life of the church. When people, when people come to a church and they get connected and they feel the love of God in that place, you know, they, they get excited about it and they want to come back and they want to tell people about it and all that because it's different there. These people, like, really love me. These people really care. And, and man, when they want to join the church, they want to get involved in all kinds of stuff and they want to, like, do stuff and you kind of we kind of the same way when they come to christ when they've been delivered from something when they've experienced a dramatic transformation in their life when they've been set free when they've been given a new life they're excited about it they want to tell people they want to show people they want to do stuff they're like i don't want to just sit around i want to go down and tell somebody right because it's made a difference in them it's exciting we're going to see that today in this text that we're we're going to work our way through uh, it's in your Bible, and we're going through the Gospel of John. And I, share, I shared before that 
I always, whenever someone asks me, where do I start reading the Bible? I always tell them, Gospel of John. Because it's where, it's where Jesus kind of, we can like see the, the real Jesus. Like we can see him as a, as a man. Uh, just like us. Uh, we can see the things that he went through and how he experienced life. And, and I think John, who was one of Jesus' closest friends, who wrote the story for a purpose so that we might believe, right? He wants us to believe that Jesus wasn't just a guy from the neighborhood. He was, a, he was the son of God. He wants us to understand that. So he wrote some things that were intentional. Today we're looking at a story of a, of a young woman who was excited about her love for Jesus, and, and she showed it. So if you join me in your, in your Bible there, uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are the Gospels in the New Testament. That's kind of like the back half of the Bible. Uh, John is the one we're in, chapter 12, the big number 12, little number, verses 1. Uh, that's where we're going to be today. Uh, just eight verses in the Bible. I want to read them to start. Six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany, where Lazarus lived, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. Here a dinner was given in Jesus' honor. Martha served, while Lazarus was among those reclining at the table with him. Then Mary took a pint of pure nard, an expensive perfume, and she poured it on Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But one of the disciples, Judas Iscariot, who was later to betray him, objected. Why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? It was, it was worth a year's wages. He did not say this because he cared about the poor, though, but because he was a thief keeper of the money bag. He used to help himself to what was put into it. Leave her alone, Jesus responded. It was intended that she should save this perfume for the day of my burial. You will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. You will not always have me. So that's, that's where we're going to be. And just to, just to back up, to kind of remind you of what, what's happened, what John already kind of briefed us on, was Jesus had just brought Lazarus from dead to life. He just raised him from the dead, right? And so, so what, what would you do if, if Jesus showed up and raised one of your loved ones to life? You'd have a party, wouldn't you? I mean, that's what, the, that's what I would do. I'd, I'd just throw a party and like, y'all gotta, you got to come see this, right? And you invite everybody. So that's exactly what they did. They threw a party. Martha and Mary threw a party for their brother Lazarus to honor Jesus, to, to celebrate what had been done. It was, a, it was a day of celebration. It was also a week before, six days before, John says, before the Passover. Now, if you know the, what happens in this following week, this is the last week of Jesus' life. The Passover that he references is the Passover when, when Jesus will be crucified. So, so this is a pretty big deal. This is a pretty big week that this is beginning here. But, but also the Passover in Jerusalem. Everybody would come to Jerusalem from all around the countryside. They'd all come in. And the, the town that they're in, Bethany, Bethany is, is just outside of Jerusalem, about two miles. It's two miles out, so it's like a suburb of Jerusalem. So that's where a lot of people would be. I mean, the town is filling up with folk. And Jesus is there where we always see Jesus, in a room full of people having dinner with friends. That's where we always find Jesus. If he's not having a dinner with a room full of friends, he's off with his, friend, with his disciples, three of them usually, teaching them. But here we find Jesus in the town where it's filling up with all kinds of people from all over the countryside having dinner with his friends before the Passover. Matthew, all the Gospels record this story that we're looking at today. In Matthew's account, he tells us a little more. He tells us that that they're gathered at the house of Simon the leper. Now, that may not mean anything to you, but if you were a Jew in 
in the first century that it would mean that if you were a leper, that means that you, it's an incurable skin disease and you were ostracized. You were left to, you, you tent camped. You couldn't live in town. You couldn't have neighbors. You couldn't have anybody live in the house with you. You had to live by yourself out in the country. And here is Simon the leper. Everybody's at his house for dinner. So obviously, Simon the leper has been cured. He has been healed, right? So they're at the house of a man who's experienced a healing, right? His life has been redeemed, right? Because he was at a place where no one would have anything to do with him. And now, all of a sudden, everybody's coming over to his house because he's been healed. With Mary and Martha and Lazarus, who had also experienced an amazing miracle, a sign, right? A sign that Jesus is the Son of God. And what does Mary do? We find Mary in this story, just like we did in every other story where Mary's in it. She's at the feet of Jesus, right? The first story where we had where, where Jesus was at their house for dinner, and Mary's at his feet while Jesus is teaching, and Martha's out cooking, right? You remember that one? And then, then the, the next one, when Lazarus dies, where's, Jesus, where's Mary? She's at his feet again. Jesus, why weren't you here? And here we have Mary again at Jesus' feet, this time anointing him with oil. Mary, that's, that's where she always is. Is at the feet of Jesus. And today we see, we hear in verse, in verse 3, what she did. She took a pint of pure nard. Some, some Bibles may say a pound, but it's, regardless, it's, it's a measure of this perfume, an expensive perfume. And she poured it on the feet of Jesus. Now we don't know pure nard, if, if, somewhere, if your husband or boyfriend were to come home with a bottle of pure nard, you'd probably say, huh, yeah, I don't, do I cook with that? Like, like, what do I do with that, right? We don't know. What, we don't really, nard doesn't really mean anything to us. It was, a, it was a flower from northern India that was used to make this, uh, this ointment that they used to, to cover up the smell of your body, right? I mean, it was just, frankly, it was just, it covered, it masked the scent of sweat and dirt and grime and everything. It was, it was meant to, to mask all those things, but it was also meant to just be a, a beautiful fragrance. It was a beautiful smell. Just, just like any old perfume. That's about all we really know about it. Until, until, until Judas speaks up. Judas, he wasn't good for a whole lot, but a couple of things he did that he had to do. And this is one of those things that he did that I'm so thankful that he asked, that he said something. He said, in verse 4 and 5, he said, why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? It was a year's worth of wages. Now, this is extravagant devotion. A year's worth of wages in their day was a year's worth of wages. Some of your Bible may say 300 denarii. So that was a, an amount of money. That was a, like a $100 bill or whatever. It was, it was a measure of money. And Judas tells us that this extravagance was too much, right? So just think about it. What would be too much today? 300 denarii would still be a lot today. What, what's a, what's a, a, a day's labor worth? $100? I mean... Unskilled, let's, let's say, a woman's labor in that day, she would be an unskilled labor. She'd be just a manual labor. And she would, the most she would make, would, what would it be today? $100, $150, a day. $30,000. She just poured out on Jesus' feet. Well, now it changes. You know, we were thinking, oh, this is just olden days where money wasn't much, right? A year is a year, right? A year's wages is a year's wages. So put it in our terms. She just anointed his feet with $30,000, $50,000 worth of fragrance. Substantial, right? Was it a waste? Some would say. Judas said it was. That there was so much more we could have done with this. 
There was so much more we could have done with this that she just wasted by pouring it out on his feet. In Mark, the Gospel of Mark, the same story is told by Mark the doctor. I mean, sorry, Mark the apostle. And he says that in verse 8, he says, she did what she could. He doesn't say it was extravagant. He says she did what she could. It, it was extravagant, but she could be extravagant, right? She had saved it, Jesus said. She saved it for this time. But this is what she saved it for. It was a lot. It was more than what others could have done, for sure. But it was what she was able to do. She could, and she did. Seems like a lot, but it's not about the amount. I want to get your mind off the amount for a second. Because you remember uh, earlier in the, the Gospels when, when Jesus was at the temple and, and he was watching people make their offerings at the temple and he said, hey, uh, watch this lady, the widow that put in the two coins, right? The two half pennies. She put that in and what did he say? She's given more than anybody else. She's given more than anybody. So it's not about the... Jesus doesn't look at the amount that was being given. It was, it was the, the way it was being given. The, 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 the attitude that was given with is what Jesus is talking about here. So, and the same for us. It doesn't matter how much you serve, how much you help, how much you give. It's irrelevant. It depends on how much you have. How much, how much do you have? How much do you have to give? How much, do you have to, how much do you have to serve? How much do you have to help? I heard a story recently of an NFL quarterback. I know some of you are, oh, football. I'm sorry. Uh, Ravens are done, so maybe you'll hear fewer of these stories, but, but I'm going to tell football stories because that's who I am. Uh, Derek Carr. Quarter, NFL quarterback, he had received at the time was the largest quarterback or contract for NFL player ever in history. It was $125 million at the time. $125 million. I was like, what do you do with all that? And so a reporter asked, that's a good question. What are you going to do with that, Derek? Well, first thing I'm going to do is I'm going to pay my tithe. You're going to do what? They said, yeah, I'm going to pay my tithe. That's what I've done ever since I was in college when I, I got my first, scholar, my first scholarship for $700. I tithed it. He's like, that's the first thing I'm going to do. He didn't, see, he didn't get to be uh, make $125 million and then decide, you know, I'm going, to, I'm going to honor God with this. It started back with $125, right? And then it eventually it became, because we'll never get rich enough to tithe, right? That's just, that's just the fact of it. We'll never get rich enough to be generous. We either are or we're not, right? You can be stingy with 1000 or you can be stingy with a million. You can be stingy with whatever, right? You can be, you can be uh, maybe stingy is a bad word, frugal, thrifty. You can be thrifty with, with whatever amount you want to be thrifty with, right? It, for Derek Carr, it was, that's the first thing I'm going to do. It, people, people who study uh, generosity and, and that sort of thing, they, they say that the poorest people in the world are the most generous people in the world. The poorest people in the world are the most generous people in the world. In large, at, you know, there may be you know, whatever, but it's, why is that? It's because the poorest people in the world understand the value of a little. Giving a little makes a big difference to some people, and they really understand that. They value the little bit. The little bit makes more of a difference for them than it does for those who have much. And that's just the fact of it. I'm, this isn't a message on giving, but, but I will say this, that, that I think I have... You can, all, you can give without loving, but you can't love without giving. You can give without loving, 
You get that? You can give to people and don't care. You just want to get them out of your way or whatever, right? But you can't love without being generous. That love always gives. Love is outward, right? First Corinthians 13, that love chapter, you know, that you read at every wedding. You know, every, the, the bride always asks the pastor to read it. And it's all about love is outward. It's, it's, it, it's giving constantly. That's what it does. Think about the things that you love in your life. Think about the things that you love in your life. And all that they require of you, and you are completely fine with giving it to them. Let me think about it. Your, your work. If you love your work, you're, you're happy working overtime. Your family. You love your family. You're happy to spend time with them and give them things and buy them clothes and all that kind of you're, you're, you're happy doing that. Time, attention, anxiety, study, stress. All that stuff that we are eager to, to put on those things that we love that mean something to us because we love them. We're, we're okay with that. We're, we're eager to do that. I've heard it said that, that money runs downhill. That money runs downhill. And what that means is that, is that what we have will always follow what we value. What we have will always follow what we value. Jesus said it in Matthew 6.21. When he said, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Wherever your treasure is, that's where, that's where you are. Right? Your heart. That's where you, you are where your treasure is. The more we value something, the more of ourselves we're willing to commit to it. Whether it's our family, our alma mater, our civic clubs, our grandkids, our children, our spouses, our work. doesn't matter. Whatever it is. The more we value it, the more we are willing to commit to it. The more of ourselves we're willing to commit to it. Devotion is like that. It's extravagant. When we're devoted to something, it's extravagant. Devotion is also timely. John 12, verse 7 and 8. Says, Jesus says, leave her alone. It was intended that she should save this perfume for the day of my burial. You will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. You see, Mary did what she could when she could. Mary did what she could when she could. Then devotion is always right on time. You see, Mary didn't know that Jesus was going to die in a week. When Mary anointed Jesus' feet, she didn't know He was going to be crucified next Friday. She didn't know that. She had no idea that this was going to be her last chance to have dinner with Him. She didn't know. She was just doing what she could when she could. She felt God in, spur her. You've got that saved. It's under your mattress back there in the back. Go, go get that and anoint his feet. And so she did. She did what she could when she could. She didn't say, she wasn't thinking, okay, this is going to be my last chance. I've been saving that for this. No, God says, you're saving this for this. The God, God is the one that used it. You see, she was just being like, I've got it. I might as well, I'm, I'm going to go get it and give it to him. What I'm, I'm, I love that. I'm going to give it to the one I love more. John tells us that Judas was the one who, who said, you know, um, I wish we would have given this to the poor, you know, so maybe he could stolen it, right? But, but the other Gospels tell us that it was actually, it was all the disciples. They were all saying, you know, we could give that to the poor. You know, what we should do with that, what we ought to do with that is what we ought to do. And well, we, ought, we ought not to pour it on the ground. We ought to give that 
that could have done some good. Mary's, she's not thinking about what she could do. She's thinking about what she can do. Like, she can't feed all the poor. But what she can do is glorify God. What she can do is honor Jesus. What she can do is anoint his feet with a precious oil. That's what she can do. Mark 14.8 says, She did what she could. I think I have it. Yeah, she did what she could. She poured perfume on my body beforehand to prepare for my burial. You see, the Jewish tradition was, was that when a person died, that they would be, they'd be oils and, and spices would be applied to their body, and they'd be wrapped in cloth and placed in a tomb. Well, we know, we know the rest of the story, right? On Good Friday, Jesus dies, and, and he's put in a tomb hurriedly, right? He's quickly taken down and placed in a tomb, wrapped, and they weren't able to prepare the body, right? So what did they do on Easter Sunday? The women go to the tomb early at sunrise on Easter Sunday, right? And to, to anoint the body, to apply the spices, to have him prepared for burial. It was too late, right? He was alive. But it had already been done by Mary the week before. See, the week before, Mary had already done it. He was prepared for his death the week before, not knowing that that was going to be the preparation for his death. God did. God, Mary didn't know what she was doing. She just knew, I'm going to do what I can, when I can. Today I'm in His presence, and today I'm going to do what I can do. She didn't worry so much about the future. You see, devotion, that's the way devotion is. Devotion isn't bound by time. But God can use our devotion for what God wants to use it for. It's not bound by the, the restrictions that we have on our bodies even. Like knees and hips I'm talking about. Like time does not apply to devotion. It doesn't matter what your ability is, you can still live out a life of devotion. You may not be able to do what you used to do, but you can still do something just as worthy to God, regardless. Devotion is simply a wholehearted commitment to God. And everybody's able to do that. To be wholeheartedly committed to God. Now, does it look the same in everybody? Absolutely not. But a wholehearted life is simply love in action. It's love in action. You know, it, it changes. But it's love, it's commitment, it's, it's devotion, it's, it's an act of worship. I know when my wife and I, uh, when, I'll tell you this, my first time we went out as a couple, like, like just the two of us, this will, this will make you think really highly of me. Uh, I took her. I took her to the Burger King. <laughs> I did. I was. I was. Yeah. I was a big spender. I uh, went to Burger King and I uh, and and I believe she got a quarter pounder with cheese. Even she got the. She spent. I sprung for the. I sprung for the extra fifty cents or whatever it was back then for cheese. <laughs> so so yeah. I mean that was that was that was when it started. Now I, I improved quite a bit, given time. Right. I moved from from romance. That was my. <laughs> That was romance. Uh, to to when I when I knew that she was the one, right? Then a year later or whatever it was, I, I had filled her apartment up with flowers one day, like because I wanted to. I want to make an impression. Like I want her to know my devotion, right? And even then, I didn't really know what devotion was. It took time until I saw I was able to put up with, well, or she was able to put up with, uh, <laughs> like. Socks on the floor and shoes everywhere and, and dirt tracking through the house. And she said, I'm going to love him anyway. Devotion. 
Devotion. That's what devotion is. Devotion comes with time. But it's a commitment. Commitment. Wholehearted commitment to God. Romans 12, 1 and 2 are probably my favorite. Well, yeah, I'll call them all my favorite. So this is definitely two of my favorite passages of Scripture. And I love it the way the, the, the message translation of the Bible, the way he says it. And I love these words. They've always been, they've really spoken to me. So here's what I want you to do, he wrote in Romans 12. Paul's writing to the church in Rome. Here's what I want you to do. God helping you take your everyday, ordinary life, your sleeping, eating, going to work, walking around life, and place it before God as an offering. Embrace what God does with, for, for you is the best thing you can do for Him. Don't become so well-adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. Instead, fix, fix your attention on God. You'll be changed from the inside out. You'll readily recognize what God... He, he, what he wants from you and quickly respond to it and like the culture around you always dragging you down to its level of immaturity god brings the best out of you develops well-formed maturity in you see god does that god does god creates that in you god changes us from the inside out right that, that that's worship is presenting our bodies to god and saying here i am use me here i am like i am an offering right that, that's i love that passage and that's what Mary is doing here. She's saying, this is, this is what I've got, Jesus. This is what i got. And, and you're here in front of me, and this is what I'm going to give to you right now. It's a Mary-sized devotion. I think we all would want that. If you're a follower of Jesus, I think you would want to have a Mary-sized devotion. I mean, we, we, we want that. We want to be able to love Jesus like that. How do we get there? How do we get there? Because I don't feel like I'm there. So how do I get there from where I'm at? I believe it's, it's really pretty simple. Easy. Simple is probably a better word than easy. Three things. The first one is how we deepen our devotion. The first thing we need to do is spend time thinking about what my life was like before Jesus came into my life. Like just to think about what, what life was really like. What did I love? What, did I, what do I care about? And if, if, if Jesus isn't there yet, what do you care about now? Think about that. Maybe you had a powerful delivery experience, like, like one day just your eyes opened up and you were like, wow. Most, I mean, that's great. And we love hearing those stories. We all love hearing those stories. But for most of us, we were just trying to be pretty good people. I mean, for most of us, I mean, that's... Then, then someday, one day, some teacher or preacher or book you were reading or somebody on the radio or a friend said something to you about that, that made you think, that grabbed your attention to the, the truth that, that you were trying to be a good religious kind of person and, and you discovered that that was offensive to God. That your religion, you're trying to be good, you're trying to live as though you didn't really need Jesus was actually an offense to God. And when you thought about that, you were like, wow. And in that moment, it humbled you, Right? And you surrendered your life to Jesus. And in that, that's when everything changed. Ephesians 5.8 says, For once we were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light, he says. What was your life like before Jesus became the Lord of your life? Think about that. It deepens our devotion when we think about that. But don't think about it too long because that's not who you are. That's who you were. That's not who you are. So the second thing to think about is, what did Jesus do for you? What has Jesus done for you? What I mean by that is, is Romans 5, 
Verse 8. Christ died for us while we were still sinners. You see, while I, when I was thinking that I'm a pretty good person, I don't really need Jesus to die, actually. I'm, I'm all right. And in that, he died for me. Like, I didn't, I could care less, and he died anyway. Like that. And not just died, like, like my dad, like kind of faded off in the night, you know. Not like that kind of death, but a, but a torturous, embarrassing, humiliating, painful death he died for me. When I think about that, it, when, when, I, when I think about how, where I was, drinking and drugging and all that, and, and, where I, and when he died for me, and, and that, and then, then I think about what he's done for me now, what my life is like today, how he's blessed me, how he's restored relationships in my life. When I think about what he's, when you think about what Jesus has done in your life, how he's restored relationships in your life, how he's... How he's delivered you from, from hurts and habits and, and hang-ups and all kinds of issues. Well, some of you still got issues. But, but how, how he's delivered you from a lot of those issues. That, 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 that deepens our devotion. We, we, want, we love him even more the more we think about where we've come from and where we are now. Even though we're not there yet. And you're not there yet. <laughs> well, most of us are not there yet. None of us are there yet. But we're on our way. We're on our way. When we think about that, it gives us hope. It, that makes us love Him. That makes me devoted to Him. See, love like that takes time to, to really process it. It might happen overnight for some people, but for most of us, we don't immediately fall in love like that with God, with Jesus. It takes a little while for Him to do things in our life that we're, like, we're convinced Maybe you're thinking, well, I really hope I can get there one day. I do too, but I hope today can be that day. Let me, let me tell you a couple other details in the story that we haven't really talked about that, that maybe make, will make you think today is the day. That today is the day to, be, to become fully devoted to Jesus. The first one is in, back in verse 3. Where is it? And the sweet smell of the perfume filled the whole house. The sweet smell of perfume filled the whole house. Now, this was just a, kind of a one-off that, okay, she poured perfume on his feet, and obviously the smell would get in the house. But, but think about who's in the house. Everybody. Everybody Mary loved. Everybody Mary cared about. They're there to celebrate her brother's life, new life. Everybody was impacted by it. Now, now scientists tell us that we can't forget a smell. That uh, something about a smell, when it, the, way it, uh, the, pro, the part of your brain that processes smells is right next to the part of your brain that processes long-term memory. And so they kind of they cross-contaminate each other. And so that's why you, when you go back to mom's and she's making that thing that you really love she makes, and you smell it and you're like, oh, wow. Or when you go in somebody else's house and you smell, that smells just like my mom's whatever. That, that's why. Because you never forget it. Everybody in this house had experienced something they would never forget. Mary's devotion. Mary's devotion would never, they, they, wouldn't, they couldn't forget it. It was, it was literally imprinted on their brains. They couldn't forget it. And I'll say this, that your devotion today, tomorrow, will have the same impact on the people in this room. On the people in this room. The people that you're in ministry with. That is, as you live out a fully devoted life, right, offering all of you to Christ, that, that 
the people around you, the people in your small group, the people in your Bible study, the people in, in your church, whatever, the, the, the ministry that you're doing down at the, in the hall, any of that, when people begin to see that your fully devoted actions, acts of worship, when people see that, it's going to have an impact on them. One that they won't, that'll be deeply imprinted on their brains. And they will remember. They will see you and know what you've done. But not only that. If that, that sounds good, right? That, that, okay, something I do today might have an impact on somebody else in this room. Somebody else in this room will be impacted by something you could do today. That's good. But I'll take it even one step further. Jesus said, when he's talking about this that Mary did, he said in Matthew 26, 13, he said, truly I tell you, this is right after this, this whole thing about what Mary pointed on his feet, and Jesus said, you'll always have the poor with you. And then he said, truly I tell you, wherever this gospel, this story about me, Jesus, this, my story is told, is preached throughout the world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. See, Jesus is saying, whenever somebody tells the gospel that what Mary did is going to be remembered as well. Mary's act of devotion it's going to be told right alongside of mine. Jesus is saying, right alongside of mine. And that's going to affect generations. As a matter of fact, 2,000 years later, we're still talking about Mary and her simple act of extravagant devotion. Extravagant devotion. It's possible in your life. It's possible in your life to live out extravagant devotion where you don't worry about, okay, well, what? no, like God's here, there's a need, I'm going to, whatever, I'm going to do it. I can, I am, right? 200 years ago, in Rock Hall, there was a group of people, maybe, probably one person, it started with one person, who said, I'm going to start a church down on Main Street in Rock Hall. They're sitting in it today. It took devotion of one person, two people, three people, five, ten people, over years, hundreds of people have been devoted to Christ and you're sitting in it. You're sitting in the result of their devotion. That pew you're in. It, came, it was somebody's idea. It was, an, it was an idea, it was a thought, it was a consideration one time. It was a, it was a I think we should. Right? I think we should. I think we ought to do that. Let's do that. And here we sit today. The way to have that sort of devotion, remember, is to think about who I was. If you want to grow that, if you want to develop that kind of devotion in your life, if you, if you want to love Jesus that much, that's what you do. You spend some time thinking about who you were, what he's done, and what he's doing in your life now. And I promise your devotion will grow. And who knows? One day, somebody might be standing in the fruits of your devotion. One day. Let's pray. God, we love you. I ask you, Lord, that today there are folks in this room who, who you've brought here, you've gathered in this place, Lord, who love you, who are all in. And they needed to hear today, God, that the, the, the fruit of their labors is making an impact. Whether it's with 40 kids down in Ocean City, or it's 60 kids down here on Wednesday night, what is it? That their devotion, their being all in for what you're doing here in this community, God, is making a difference. And not just, God, I just ask that you would encourage them. Bless them. 
Help them, give them joy knowing that their sacrifice is making a difference. Not just around the world, God. Not just, not just here in Rock Hall right now, but for generations. It's making a difference. After there's others of us here who are just dating. We're just... We haven't fully committed. We're, we love you and we, we thank you for forgiveness and we thank you that, that you've changed our life. And But God, we're not all in. And I ask you, God, just to give us a clear picture of, of what that would look like if we were fully devoted to you. How would our time be reprioritized? How would our, how would our family be reprioritized? How would our work and our approach to our work, how would that change, God? How would... Our possessions, God. How would how would we hold the things that you put in our life? How would we hold them differently as a fully devoted follower of Jesus, God? Give us a clear picture so we know what we're shooting for. These abstract ideas are great, God, but give us clarity for my life, for their life. And God, for the there's also people in this room today I know who are not, who are still on the fence, who aren't sure about all of this. I ask you that, that we spend so much time in this world these days looking for purpose and meaning and significance and, and you're where it's all found. That, that our impact does last for generations because of you. Because we're, we're doing what we were created to do when we surrender our lives to you. When we follow you. Lord, I ask you to, to use us. Use this church. Use us pulled together. I have to make a difference here for you for your kingdom and for your glory. You're good to us, Lord. We thank you. We praise you. Amen. <clears throat> so, um, we have begun sharing in Holy Communion every, on a weekly basis, pretty much every week. Uh, you may not be aware of why. You may ask why. Uh, be a good question to ask because generally we do it once a month. Uh, but back in December, November, whenever it was, we started doing it every month because uh, your church and uh, Rom Chapel Church have begun talking about how to merge ministries somehow. What's that going to look like? And so we ask people to pray. We ask people to to ask God for discernment. You ask God for like, what does this mean? Like, God, show me what this looks like, and all of that. We ask for for that because God can speak to whoever he wants to speak to, right? You have a, there's a group of folks here in your church who have committed to, to getting together to talk and to pray and to, to, to work out details, right? They're meeting today. And I didn't ask you just to, to pray for them, to pray for them, to pray for this process that God would make himself clear and that we wouldn't get too far out in front of him, that we'd stay close enough that we could say yes to whatever he calls us to, but also that we'd be sure that we heard him saying what to do. Uh, so I just really ask you to, to be in prayer for that. Um, we're going to pray now, uh, and then we're going to enter into seat for our Holy Communion. We can do it together. You don't have to be a member here, this church, or anywhere else to be a part of this, to share in this meal. This is God's offer of grace to you. So uh, join me in prayer, would you? Lord, we thank you for this chance just to gather in your presence, Lord. We come before you and, and offer ourselves. I ask you to present yourself, God, here in this time, in this place, as we are in your presence, God. Make yourself real to us. As we lift up
our churches, Lord, we ask you that you would draw them close to, to you. And as we draw close to you, God, we will all be closer together. But we must draw near to you. You're the point of it all. God, we lift to you also caregivers in our community, people who, who give themselves not only vocationally, but also for their family, God, for neighbors. That it's a, it's a consuming act to care for others. I ask you also, God, to lift up those who are receiving that care because that's a humbling thing. It's a humbling thing to need help. And I ask you, God, just to, to bless folks because in their receiving of our help, God, they are actually teaching us. They're teaching us something about what it means to be a follower of Jesus, to be served. God, we lift to you folks in our community who need improved mental health, depression, anxiety, stress, addictions. God, I ask you to set people free. I ask you to set people free. I ask you to to wake them up to the reality of their problems. Help them to find help, whether it be Celebrate Recovery up at Hope Hope Fellowship Church, God, or somewhere else, Lord, that that they would just be be surrounded by people who are going to lead them and call them to to help. Also lift to you, God, the families who survived suicide victims, God. All the what-ifs and if-onlys and I should have. God, it must weigh heavy on their hearts. I know there are several here in this community. I ask you, Lord, that you would set them free. That you would allow them to to know hope and joy again. That you would show yourself to them, Lord. We thank you, God. We love you.